on this spring winter day. I have no idea what it is, and so I'm just going to call it a spring winter day. Uh, my name is Tommy. I am a, have the privilege of serving on staff here and helping out with the creative arts ministry with all the stuff that you see on stage on the weekends between music and all the lights and the whatever this thing's called, projector and screen, all, all of that stuff. I get to help out and get to serve in a role that is a blast, and I get to work with this guy, which... It's fun. Um, hey, I, I, if no one has said it yet, welcome. I am so glad that you are here. We are so glad that you took time out on your Sunday morning to come be a part of something that is just a blast to be a part of. If you can, your program that you brought with you, if you don't mind pulling that out right now and opening it, on the inside you'll see a whole bunch of things that are going on, a lot of different events, a lot of programs, a lot of stuff that are really an opportunity for you to connect with other people and with God. You'll see a bunch of emails of different staff members, a way for you to reach out to them. But also on the inside you'll see this little almost like index card looking thing. It's a connect card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping it in the basket at the end, it's, it's a great way for us to connect with you. Any information you put on there, we do not sell. We don't make any money off of it. That's not our goal. Our goal in that is simply for us to connect with you and know that you were here. And on the back of that is a place where you can see prayer requests. If you have something that you need prayed for, you want something else to pray with you, every Tuesday we collect those cards, and as a staff, we pray through each of those individually. We count prayer as a big deal. It's such a big deal that we're doing an entire series on it. Um, and we want to be able to partner with you in prayer over what's going on in your life, whether it's praises, hurts, hang-ups, whatever it is. We want to be able to pray with you. Um, I want to highlight just a few quick things that are going on. One major thing that's going on right now is this thing called the Reveal Study. And the Reveal Study is, is a huge deal for something that as a church that we're asking everyone who's involved in the church to fill out. And to tell you how big of it is, we're actually inviting somebody back up on stage to talk about it. So can you give a hand for Seth as he comes right now? Oh, totally not necessary. You're too kind. Okay, anyway. You can pay me later. Um, <laughs> hey, so, so this reveal study, something that we're going through, Seth, um, can you kind of explain what is this thing? What, what, what is the reveal study? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. So for some of you who were here last week, you know that we launched this reveal study. So we've been into it for about a week now, and we have about a week left in terms of uh, kind of collecting your surveys and your feedbacks and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, what is the reveal study? Well, I think the, the best way to kind of articulate what it is is kind of like a 30,000-foot view of its history, kind of where the Reveal Study came from. And so some of you may have heard uh, this church that is in a suburb of Chicago. It's called Willow Creek Community Church. Some of you may have heard of that church. Um, now, this particular church back in 2008, they were running on a typical weekend for their services. They were running over 20,000 people in their weekend services. So it's kind of a big deal. They were really flourishing. They were doing well, growing as a church. And so the leadership at Willow Creek Community Church decided, well, hey, our goal is to, uh, you know, equip people to grow in their relationship with Christ. That the one thing that we know they were saying as leaders is that we are responsible for helping people to kind of take the next steps in their journey of faith and help them to grow into Christ-likeness, this thing that we often call spiritual growth. And so Willow Creek decided that uh, they were actually going to not assume that, they, that everything that they were offering as a church was uh, hitting the mark in terms of really helping to resource and equip people to 
to grow on that journey. And so what they decided to do is they decided to uh, partner with a research organization and come up with this thing, the Reveal Survey. And so essentially this survey was designed to kind of pull the audience. Uh, Again, the leaders were like, we can't assume that we're doing everything right, and we can't assume we actually know whether people feel like they're uh, being challenged and encouraged in this growth toward Christ-likeness. So they administered this survey. They kind of got the feedback from everybody, and it was fascinating because Willow Creek found that they were doing a number of things really well. But they also found that they were doing a number of things that weren't as helpful. And so uh, being the nimble kind of church that they are, they quickly kind of adjusted some of their focuses and uh, actually then started another kind of spinoff or a streak of growth in their church because, they, again, the leadership was aware of where their congregation, the people that are a part of their church, were at in terms of what they were doing to help them in their spiritual growth. So the Reveal survey then kind of is extended. Uh, uh, Willow said, well, why don't we offer this to uh, any church who's willing to participate, and so that's really where what the Reveal Survey is. It's just an opportunity for us and other churches to engage in the same uh, the same survey as uh, as Willow Creek did. Yep. So it's kind of revealing, if you play on the word, the spiritual that's health right. or where it is right now going on, what actually is going yep. on, not just the perception. That's right. Awesome. So if that's what it is, why Medina East? I mean, I feel like we're doing stuff right here so far. Yeah, I think we're doing stuff really well. It's good. Uh, but I think when you look at the why, it's pretty much the same. So whether you're running 20,000 plus a weekend like Willow Creek is or... If we had 20,000 here, that'd be like 12 services. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but yeah, actually 20, we've been running 20,000. Oh, okay, weekend, that makes so sense. If you're, I'm just kidding, of course. So, but actually, when we kind of look at some of our attendance numbers and the growth that we've experienced just numerically here at our campus, guys, we're now running about, uh, on average, over 1,000 people a weekend that attend our weekend services, which is an awesome thing. And like, we just really want to be grateful toward God for that and thankful for it. But at the same time, whether we're 1,000 or whether we're 20,000, it's just a really good exercise for the leaders and the staff of our church church to, again, pull the audience to find out whether what we're doing is actually making the kind of impact that it needs to make in order for us to do basically the job that we've been called by God to do to support and facilitate everyone's spiritual growth here. So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, it's kind of the heartbeat of why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, He says that God specifically gives leaders to the church uh, for to equip the saints for work of ministry. Now, the saints is basically those who follow Jesus and have committed to him by faith to kind of adopt his life. And so we, it's our job to resource you guys and to encourage your spiritual growth to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not only just to grow, but to start embracing the fact that Guys, we're all partners in God's mission, and God wants to use us as followers of Jesus to reach the world with his love. And so that's why we're doing it. We as leaders at Medina East don't assume that, uh, that we know exactly what we're doing. What we're doing is great or what we're doing is not so great. And so to get your feedback is massive for us. And honestly, it's, uh, it's massive for you guys, too. At the end of the day, taking the survey, and this is a shameless plug, right? Taking the survey is only going to help all of us grow together so that we know as leaders that we're doing the best thing that we can to promote spiritual growth and beyond God's mission together. So if you haven't taken the reveal survey yet, please, I, I implore you, beg is too strong a word, but uh, I implore you in this coming week, uh, please go out on our website, take that survey. It's only about 15 minutes and it's a, it would be, it's going to be a great thing. So awesome. Thanks. Can you give Seth a hand? Thanks guys. Yeah. Like Seth said, it's a huge deal and it's, 
I took it this past week, not just because I had to, because I wanted to, because I wanted to help out with what was going on. And it does take 15 minutes. And actually, I didn't even need to use my keyboard. It's mouse only. You know, some of those surveys, you have to like fill in the blank with stuff. It's not that kind of survey. It's a, it's a scale of one to 10 type stuff. So it really does not take long, but it is a huge help. Um, you can see in, in the program, there's a way to get there. The website's in there, all of that information. I cannot ask you enough, please, please fill this out. It's only going to help us as we try to move forward and figure out what's going on. One other quick announcement before we get going with the rest of it. This coming Saturday, um, we have what's, we're having a Shape video session. Shape is simply an, an opportunity for you to kind of figure out what your spiritual gifts are, what a little bit about your personality, some other things. It's a part of what we call the connection pathway. Our connection pathway is your way of going from coming in and being like a ninja on the weekends, coming here and getting out with no one seeing you, to actually becoming a part of the campus and getting involved. And this is kind of one of those last steps. So if you've gone through it, it's this Saturday. And what it is, is we're going to come together and it's, there's some several videos you watch together. And then there's some computers to take a test that kind of helps figure out a little bit your personality. And I've heard through the grapevine, there's free popcorn if you come because they're treating it like a movie theater. So if you get the opportunity to come, it'd be great. I know I've taken tests like this before, and it's really helped me figure out who I am and the way I'm gifted. And it helps me. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some of those things that like the shape test. So if you have the opportunity to come, all the information's also on our website that's in your program. Hey, we are so glad that you're here and took time to be out of here. Be out here this Sunday, and we love you guys. Well, good morning, Grace Church, Medina East Campus. How you folks doing this morning? It's good to be here with you. My name is Clark, and I help lead our young adult ministries called uh, New Perspective, and I also help lead and oversee uh, life groups with Pastor Tony, and I'm really excited to be here with you folks this morning as we continue a conversation that we've been in called Teach Us to Pray. And so if you're just now kind of locking in with us, uh, basically what this uh, whole series has been about is, uh, as you can tell from the video, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that we, uh, a lot of us know, whether we're a, a Christian or not. And, uh, you know, this is a prayer that a lot of times, like, you know, we hear it or we just say it. And from the very beginning of this conversation, what we've kind of been saying is, you know, what if Jesus gave this prayer not so much as, as a, a mantra to be memorized, but more as like a model or a template uh, that we could actually use and talk to God in a real way. And so um, kind of what we've been doing these past few weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we've been looking at this Lord's Prayer, like line by line. And uh, we talked about one week we looked at the line where Jesus prayed, um, Our Father in Heaven. And we asked ourselves, like, what does it actually look like to pray our Father? Like, what does that actually mean? What does that entail? Another week, we looked at the line where Jesus prays, um, hallowed be your name, right? And we, and we asked, like, like, what does it mean to hallow a name, right? When we pray, like, hallowed be your name, how do you hallow a name? Another week, we looked at that line of the Lord's Prayer uh, where Jesus uh, talks about the kingdom. If you guys were here, you might remember, uh, you know, we asked, like, what does that mean when we pray, like, your kingdom come, your will be done? What does that mean? Um, last week, if you remember, we talked about um, give us today our daily bread, and we talked about that and asked ourselves, uh, what does that mean? Uh, what does that look like? And so this has been a really helpful conversation, and uh, I know for me personally, I've been learning a lot, and my guess is if you've been uh, tracking along with this, then uh, uh, you might be able to identify with a lot of, of that, because prayer is one of those things, um, you know, that, that when we do it and if we do it, we don't even really know what we're doing a lot of the times, at least I don't. And um, it's just met with a lot of uh, ambiguity and a lot of confusion. And so we've been trying to, like, ask ourselves, like, what if Jesus actually gave this prayer to us so that we can actually use it? 
to talk to God in a real way. So as, as you can imagine, uh, today I want to continue our conversation. I want to look specifically at that line where Jesus prays, forgive us our debts so that we can forgive our debtors. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. It's going to be on page 678 uh, in those black Bibles uh, in the chairs. And we always say it, you know, if you don't have a Bible, then you can just take one of ours and we'll make that a gift from us to you. Happy early Valentine's Day, if that's not weird for me to say. Um, and you can just take one of those. And uh, the way I want to kind of structure our time together is uh, I just want to read this Lord's Prayer. And then I just want to pray for us because we are in a prayer series. So I just want to ask God to kind of lead us and guide us in our time together. So let me read the Lord's Prayer. Breaking in at verse 9, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to say thank you for every single individual in this uh, room here right now. Uh, God, I have no idea what is going on in their lives right now, but you do. And so, God, I pray that you would just meet us right where we're at right now, uh, regardless of what's going on in all of our lives here. Um, Lord, I pray that you would show us how much you love us and how much you desire for us to love and forgive uh, one another. And, um, Lord, I just want to ask specifically for your strength, only strength that you can provide, God, um, as I serve your people. And I want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a little bit about me, I'll give you guys kind of a window into one of my uh, personal struggles, and maybe you can identify with this too, uh, but sometimes uh, at the end of the day when I'm, you know, finishing up work, I'm, I'm on the way back home and I'm, I'm driving, and uh, maybe once every couple weeks this will happen, and uh, a car will be driving uh, behind me, uh, like, like right behind me, <laughs> and I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but this is, for me, uh, if I can just be honest, like this is really annoying, <laughs> Like, this is really agitating when a car is, like, right behind me, like, tailing me. And a couple thoughts kind of enter my mind when that happens, and I don't know if you're the same, but uh, a couple options come to mind. Option one is, you know, I could just brush it off, and I could just give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, maybe they're having a really crazy week, and maybe they just have a lot of stuff on their plate, and maybe they just need to get to their destination, and, and, and maybe even though I'm going the speed limit or five miles over the speed limit, I'm still not going fast enough for them. And so option one is to just brush it off and to forget about it, right? Option two is to brake check them, right? Which, you know, isn't a very wise option, but it's still an option. And I know people who have chosen that option, and it hasn't worked out the best for them. But. And option three is uh, the option that I may or may not have gone with before. Uh, option three is the more passive-aggressive approach, and that's kind of how I tend to be more wired. And so if you're passive-aggressive, maybe you can identify with this. But what I like to do is I like to slow, real, slow down a lot. <laughs> and uh, especially when I get to that turn, you know the turn I'm talking about, that, that final turn before you get off the same street, and you just slow way down and just make that turn nice and easy. <laughs> And it just feels so good. I wish it didn't feel so good, but it does. And when you make that turn, that little turn is sending a huge, huge message to the driver behind you, isn't it? And we all know what that message is, right? It's the message of unforgiveness. It's that message of saying, you did this to me, and now it's my turn. I'm going to do this to you. 
It's, it's a, a revenge for revenge, retribution for retribution. And we can turn on the news, and we can see this on a more uh, cataclysmic scale, can't we? We turn on the news, and we can see as uh, Sunnis are killing Shiites, and Shiites are killing Sunnis. And we can see this uh, with uh, Israelis and Palestinians, and Palestinians and Israelis. And back and forth, and on and on it goes, revenge for revenge, retribution for retribution. And we see this. We see it all over the news. We turn on the radio, we can hear it there, too. Uh, There was a song by Adele. I love Adele. This line of the song. It was called uh, Rolling in Deep was the song. You guys might remember it. And uh, she says, think of me in the depths of your despair. And I'm like, man, that is just like cutthroat. I mean, that is, that's an intense lyric in that song. There's another song uh, you might know. It's by uh, Taylor Swift. And uh, real subtly, she just kind of says, like, someday I'll be moving to a big old city. But you're always going to be mean, right? And so we resonate with these songs. These songs, we, the reason these songs sell is because we can identify, like, they hit us emotionally, and we can resonate with, with this uh, feeling of when someone uh, dismisses us, right? Or when we dismiss somebody because they've wronged us, or because they've hurt us in some sort of way. And so it's this feeling of bitterness, and we can, we can grasp that, and we can grip unforgiveness. And it's real easy for us uh, to do that. Um, I find it kind of ironic that we're talking about uh, forgiveness because Valentine's Day is uh, um, this upcoming week. And so, guys, if you're single, this would be a good time to start showering. And, um, you know, you can that's, – that's just free advice right there. But um, Valentine's Day is next, next week and, uh, or this week, and, you know, we're talking about forgiveness. Um, I was doing some uh, research online. There's a website. Actually, uh, it's in the – uh, capital of Croatia, and it's called the Museum of Broken Relationships. And it's really fascinating because what it is, it's a collection of memorabilia that people have kept from relationships that just went really bad. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. They have everything from uh, an axe that somebody used uh, to uh, chop up their uh, ex-lover's furniture. Uh, they actually call it the X-Axe, which is a very fitting name. And then there is an, uh, a garden gnome that someone uh, hurled through the windshield of their ex-lover's car who cheated on them. And so uh, what it is, is is people keep these things. They preserve these things. They're like preserving the hatred and the uh, bitterness and the unforgiveness. And we can identify with that, can't we? I know I can. A lot of us can identify with, with that feeling, uh, those wounds that are stored up inside of our hearts, and we can feel uh, where someone uh, wronged us, someone hurt us in some sort of way. And uh, maybe for you, it's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Uh, maybe it could be a spouse. Um, it could be uh, maybe even one of your friends. Maybe it could be a roommate. And, and it's easy for us to just, like, dial up those feelings and those emotions when, man, that person said this about me. He said this, and she said this, and do you know what this person did to me? And, man, it's real easy for us to, to grab a hold of that unforgiveness and that, and, that, and that bitterness. And maybe for some of you, it's your parents and uh, the way you were raised, uh, maybe through either active or passive abuse. Uh, your mom and dad uh, treated you a certain way. And over time, that almost kind of defined you through, through, through grasping that unforgiveness. And, uh, and it, it can make us feel really powerful, and it can um, define our lives. And we can do that, and I'm not saying I've never done that. But the Bible, when we look at, the, at God's word, what the Bible is going to tell us is that unforgiveness is going the opposite way of the gospel. And that's what it says. It says when we, when we try to grab a hold of unforgiveness, it's impossible for us to grab a hold of the gospel of grace at the same time. And it's like being, it's like being married and dating. Like, you can't do both. Like, you have to pick one, right? 
Because you're going to get a garden gnome thrown through the windshield of your car. And so we have to pick one of these. The Bible says we've got we to gotta pick either, either the gospel of grace or, or bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's interesting because Jesus says it in our text today, in verse 12, as we look at it. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he explains it in verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And what Jesus is saying here is he's, he's saying that, that the forgiveness that we receive from God and our forgiveness towards other people, he takes these two things and he says these two things are completely and inextricably linked together. And you go, well, how does that work? Are you trying to tell me that, that you know, you don't know what this person did to me? You don't know what he said to me, what she said to me, the, the, the circumstances I'm in right now, the, 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 where I grew up? I mean, how does that work? Am I just supposed to forget that that ever happened to me, Clark? How does that work? Well, it's interesting. If you flip to the right in your Bibles, you get to Matthew 18. And Jesus explains exactly how it works. He does it in a story. Uh, but if you look at the context of it, it's really interesting because Peter, one of the disciples, comes up to Jesus. And uh, right after Jesus uh, explains um, making yourself right with someone who hurts you, someone who wrongs you in some way, um, Jesus says you're to seek rehabilitation or like reconciliation with that person and make things right. And so one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, you almost kind of get the sense that he's doesn't want to be taken advantage of with his forgiving people. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody who wrongs me? Up to seven times? And it's interesting because during that time in the rabbinic literature, it was always said that, you know, you're only supposed to forgive somebody up to three times. It was kind of like a three strikes you're out rule. And so Peter, I almost imagine him trying to, like, make himself look awesome a little bit. I imagine with the disciples and saying, guys, you know, the rabbis, they say to forgive up to three times. Guys, watch this. Hey, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? I mean, that's, that's more than double. That's, gotta, that's pretty incredible, right? And Jesus looks at Peter, and he's like, try 77. He's like, in other words, you don't count. Forgiveness is unconditional. And so you go, well, how does that work? Because, you know, what does that mean? That if I don't forgive somebody, what does that mean that I'm not saved? Does that mean that if I don't forgive another person uh, for wronging me, that I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God? What does that mean? Well, Jesus, he continues on, and he looks at Peter, he looks at the disciples in the crowd where he's at in Capernaum, and he tells the story. He says, let me, let me tell you guys the story. There's three scenes in this story. He says, once upon a time, there was a king. And this king had a bunch of servants. And one of the servants was called up to the king. And the king looked at the servant and he said, you owe me an incredible amount of money. You owe me 10,000 talents. Which to us here in the 21st century in Medina, Ohio, that doesn't really mean much to us. But back during this time, that was a lot of money because 10,000 was the highest number that existed in the Greek language at the time. And a talent was the highest denomination in terms of money that existed during this time. So Jesus' crowd, the disciples, and uh, all the people around, they would have they been shocked when they heard this. Like, 10,000 talents? Are you serious? Just to give you a sense of context, the ancient historian Josephus, he said when they collect taxes around all the surrounding areas during this time, from Sumeria to Judea, 
it added up to 600 talents. So this would have been more money that was actually in circulation at the time. And so the crowd, they're just shocked. They're like, 10,000 talents? Are you serious? So they would, they would have been thinking, like, number one, like, how irresponsible of a human being do you have to be to rack up that much debt? And, and secondly, what kind of king has that much compassion, has that much grace, has that much mercy? I mean, they, they would have been like, what kind of king is this? He must either have his hand completely off the wheel, not paying attention at all, or he must have this grace, mercy, and compassion that we've never even heard of before. And so Jesus continues the story, and in scene two, um, or I'm sorry, in, in, in this scene, uh, the king looks at the servant, and he, and he tells him, you're not going to be able to pay off this debt, dude. This debt is racked up so high, there's no way you're going to be able to pay this back. And so the Bible tells us that the servant, he pleaded with the king, and he said, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Which, which there's no way that he could have because he racked up so much debt that there's, there's no way he ever could have done it. Now, the Bible tells us that the, the king looked at this servant and he, and he showed him compassion. He looked at him and he just said, all right, don't worry about it. The Bible says he canceled the debt 100%. And so the crowd that Jesus is talking to, they would have been, this would have been scandalous to them. They, wouldn't have, they would have never heard of anything like this before. And they would have been like, what kind of king is this? They would have been floored by a king like that. And so in scene two, Jesus looks to the crowds and his disciples. And he says, so this servant was forgiven the 10,000 talents. He went and he hit the streets and he found another servant who owed him 100 denarii. Which back during this time, 100 denarii was equal to three months worth of wages. And so it's... You know, it's not nothing. Three months' worth of wages is not nothing. But if you're going to compare that to the 10,000 talents that he was just forgiven, it really is kind of like nothing. Well, the Bible tells us that this servant went to his fellow servant who owed him the three months of wages. He took his hands, he put them around his throat, he began choking him, saying, pay back what you owe me. And you could do that at the time. You could actually grab someone by the throat if they committed a crime and take them to the provinces. But it was a, it was a great indignity to do that. It was a shameful thing to do. And so he grabs this guy. He, he grabs him by the throat. He's choking him. He's like, pay me back what you owe me. And the guy pleads with him, just like he did in scene one. And he's like, please be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay you back. Which, by the way, this guy could have actually done it. But the Bible says that he refused. And he threw him into prison. So he shames him, throws him into prison, casts him out of society. And then the Bible tells us that servants, uh, some other servants could see everything that was going on. And they were horrified by this. And so they give a detailed report to the king. And then in scene three, we're back in the courtroom again. So just to give you a quick recap, the king forgave this guy 10,000 talents. This servant goes into the streets, finds another fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. He doesn't forgive this guy. He doesn't show compassion to him. He throws him into prison. And then the other servants tell the king. So now we're back in the king's courtroom. And the king is angry. The king is furious. The king's looking at this servant. And he's like, dude, I just, I just forgave you. I just showed mercy to you. I just showed compassion to you. And you couldn't show mercy. You, shouldn't, you, you, you didn't show compassion uh, to your fellow servant who only owed you three months worth of wages. So if you don't show grace to him, then I'm not going to show grace to you. And then the Bible tells us he casts him out of his kingdom gives them to the jailers, and a more accurate translation is actually he, he gives them to the torturers. And then, so Jesus finished saying the story, and he says something very profound to the disciples and the crowd there. He says this, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you 
unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And so you look at this verse, and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, what, is that, what does that mean, that I've got to forgive everybody for anything that they've ever done to me? I mean, how does that work? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here, I think what he's getting at is that when we don't show grace, we're communicating that we don't know grace. I think that's what Jesus is saying here, that when we don't show grace, then we are communicating that we don't know grace. This is actually really logical, too. If you look throughout Scripture, you can see story after story of people who have been shown mercy, and then they show mercy to other people. People who have been forgiven, who have been lavished, uh, grace has been lavished on them, and they show mercy, and they show forgiveness and compassion to other people. It's just the logical thing to do. And so you go, well, well, how does that work? Well, the Apostle Paul would say it like this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 13. Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He would say similarly in uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And so what Paul is getting at here, he's saying, guys, this is the gospel of grace. This is how the gospel works. We have been shown grace, and therefore we show grace as well. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The gospel does not just forgive debt. It renovates your heart. The gospel does not just forgive debt. It renovates your heart. It causes us to become a gracious and compassionate person. Because when we have been able to download the grace of God of what Jesus had done for us on the cross at Calvary, we then become a conduit of that grace. Grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness has been shown to us, but it's also intended for for it to flow through us as well in our relationships with other people. It's really fascinating. If you, uh, you might think too of uh, the the story in the Gospel of Luke of the immoral woman who, uh, with her tears and with her hair, she wiped the feet of Jesus. You, You may remember the story. And, and, I, and I love this because even in the midst of her depravity and her brokenness, she says, God loves me. And because God loves me, I'm going to love other people as well. And Jesus said, if you want to know why this woman is serving me right now, it's because she knows that she is loved much. And so she is going to forgive much. And that's just kind of how that works. When we have been shown grace, we're going to show that grace to other people. And when we show grace, we're communicating that we know grace. I love the way that Chris Austin, one of the early church fathers, I love the way he puts it. He says, we are more like God in the act of forgiveness than at any other moment. To forgive is to be like God. I mean, guys, just download that for a second. I mean, how remarkable of a statement that is. Think about it. God, if God is our father and we are his kids, then when we forgive other people, we're acting like our dad. And that's what, that's what he's getting at here. And so, so maybe you're thinking, okay, uh, it still seems a little bit abstract. So let me try to make it a little bit more concrete for us. Uh, there's a book, if you're uh, into in reading and stuff, uh, you could probably find it cheap on Amazon. It's by this guy, Gary DeLashmit, and he wrote a book called Loving God's Way. And uh, he has this really, really helpful tool that uh, it was really helpful for me, and I want to... Um, 
share it with you. I think it might be helpful for you too. So if you're taking notes, uh, he talks all about what forgiveness is not and what forgiveness is. And so if I can, uh, just real quickly, I'll walk us through these. Forgiveness, he would say, forgiveness is not dismissing the offender's moral responsibility. Biblically speaking, he would say forgiveness is dismissing the right to pay back and assuming the responsibility to love. And so again, when we think about that parable, the debt that was racked up, the 10,000 talents, he took that hit. But if, but if you think about it, when, when someone wrongs us, like, yeah, we take a hit. But if we can view that through the lens of the cross, you know, the gospel, what it does is it allows us to resize that debt. And so it's not dismissing the offender's moral responsibility, but forgiveness, biblically speaking, forgiveness is dismissing the right to pay back and assuming the responsibility to love. And so we're not, we're not uh, taking justice into our own hands, but we're actually complying to God's perfect justice when this happens. Another one here, uh, Gary DeLashman, uh, he would say forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about how we are to show mercy. It doesn't talk a whole lot about how we feel mercy, though. Um, Biblically speaking, forgiveness is primarily a choice based on truth. And what truth is that? What's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and we grasp that truth and we hold on to that truth even if the feeling's not there. Another one here is uh, forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. Forgiveness is deciding not to use the offense in a retributive way. And so again, we're reminded of God's love when we forgive, and we choose not to use that offense and that debt to pay them back in a retributive way. Uh, another one here is uh, forgiveness is not a once and for all event. Uh, Gary DeLashman, in his book, Loving God's Way, he would say forgiveness is, is a decision which often must, ta- must be reaffirmed. So this is going to look more like a process that continues ongoing, and we need to reaffirm ourselves of this event that's taken place. Another one here is forgiveness is not agreeing to trust an unworthy person. But forgiveness, biblically speaking, forgiveness is being willing when appropriate to allow the offender to rebuild responsible trust. And so if somebody stole from me, I could forgive them, but that doesn't mean that I have to put them in charge of my finances. If somebody uh, was dishonest to me, I could forgive them. It doesn't mean I have to believe everything that comes out of their mouth. And so, biblically speaking, we would say that it's being willing, when appropriate, to allow the offender to rebuild responsible trust. A couple more here. Forgiveness is not passively tolerating future abuse. Forgiveness is exercising disciplinary measures with redemptive intent. And so, just as love extends forgiveness, it also disciplines as well. And so, it's exercising disciplinary measures with redemptive intent— Last one here, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Um, Forgiveness is being willing to work toward reconciliation. And so it's this idea that reconciliation would be like a bilateral agreement between two parties of people. And forgiveness would be unilateral. It means I recognize the debt that, that, that you racked up, and I'm taking that hit, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay you back for that. And so reconciliation, he would say that reconciliation is, is more a goal of forgiveness, not so much the immediate result of forgiveness. So kind of a helpful tool to have, right? Um, 
But some of us, you know, we might be thinking, okay, so we're, we're in this series, uh, Teach Us to Pray. And so what we're saying is, like, when we're looking at these lines of the Lord's Prayer, we want to actually be able to use these when we talk to God, when we pray to God. So if, if I'm sitting down uh, with my Bible and I'm looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, and, and I'm thinking in terms of, okay, God, for, forgive my debts so that I can forgive my debtors. How does that actually look? Well, I think I'll take a stab at it here. Um, I think that if we don't view ourselves as the fool who racked up the debt in the parable in Matthew 18, then we'll never be able to forgive anybody at all. If we don't recognize that God's gospel of grace, if I, if I can't actually download the fact that, that I racked up a debt, not of 10,000 talents, but of like every hurtful and heinous thing that I've ever done, that that was actually placed uh, in Jesus' body on the cross. He bore our sins in his body. The Bible says that he was crushed for our iniquities. He was uh, pierced for our transgressions. The Bible says that Jesus paid up that, paid, paid 100% that debt that we racked up through all the hurtful and heinous things. If I don't actually realize that, then I'm never going to be able to forgive uh, anybody. And so if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to think in terms of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's only because of that that I'm going to be able to forgive someone else for what they have done to me or against me. Because I'm not going to be able to find that power within Clark Jeanette. There's no way I'm going to be able to forgive somebody. Whether it's somebody riding too close behind me in the car or it's somebody doing something terribly heinous against me or my friends or my family or or any of you guys, right? And so that power is not going to come from me. It's only going to be able to come from the cross. It's only going to be able to come from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when I'm praying that prayer, forgive my debt so that I can forgive others, that part, so that, is very key. Because I'm not going to be able to forgive other people unless I can download the power that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... Maybe you're thinking, okay, so that still sounds a little bit theoretical, pie in the sky. How does it actually look? So far, we've talked about how we can easily grab a hold to bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's impossible. The Bible says we can't grab a hold of God's grace at the same time. Because those are two opposites. We have to pick one of those. So let me share a story with you. I think this really can can take this abstract thought and make it more concrete. This is practical as I know how to be. I want to share a story with somebody who is able to, to somebody who was able to, you know, they grabbed the hold of unforgiveness, but they were able to, to recognize how to actually let go of that and grab a hold of the grace of the gospel of Jesus. So let me share this story with you. This is a really powerful story, and I just want to close with this before we end our time together. Well, Corey Ten Boom was speaking to a room full of people in Munich in 1947. Corey was speaking because she was put in a concentration camp in Ravensbrück. She watched her sister become emaciated and die in that place under Nazi domination. She spoke to this crowd of people in Germany. She spoke to them about God's forgiveness. And she told them, God takes your sin and he casts it into the depths of the sea. And she said, she gave that talk. And she said that they all got up silently. And she said it was almost like you could see their disbelief that God would really forgive them. And she said they made their way out of the back. But one guy walked forward. 
And she said, as he was walking forward in his brown trench coat and hat, suddenly I got a flashback and I remembered him in his blue outfit with his little cap with a skull and crossbones. He was a guard in Ravensbrook. He guarded the showers. And she said, I remembered seeing that pathetic pile of dresses as we had to parade past him, nude, as he held his little whip in the indignity of it all as I watched my sister's emaciated body waste away in front of this evil man. And he walks up to me, and he says, Hello, Fraulein. He says, What a great sermon about forgiveness. And he extended his hand, and she said, I didn't take it. She just kind of fumbled around in her pocket. And so he continued, and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook. He said, I was a guard there. He said, but in the days that have followed, I have become a Christian, and God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there. And then he said, but will you forgive me? And he put his hand out again. She said, nothing in me wanted to touch that man. He presided over the death of my sister. And then she quotes this text from Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts so that we can forgive others. She said, but, but I knew I had to. I have to forgive him. She said, and yet I still stood there with coldness in my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, but you have to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then, but even so, I realized it was not my love. I tried. I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit as recorded in Romans 5. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I just want to come to your throne of grace right now, Father. And Lord, thank you that I can call you Father. God, this uh, topic of forgiveness is is kind of a weighty topic for many of us, God, and Lord, I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives right now, and Lord, things could be going good for some of us, but maybe for some of us, God, it's a train wreck, and maybe there's a lot of relational shrapnel going on in our lives right now. I don't know, God, but you do. Father, I pray for those of us here, God, that would call ourselves followers of you, Jesus, that we could, we could recognize the cross, Lord, and just the magnitude of the grace that you lavish on us, God, that, that we are the servant who racked up the 10,000 talents, God. We racked up a debt that we could not pay, God, that only you could pay, Jesus. You bore our sins in your body on the cross, Lord. Help us to receive that today, God, if we never have, Lord. I pray that we could just embrace your forgiveness and be a conduit of your forgiveness and grace to other people, God. And Lord, even as we sing this song, How Deep the Father's Love, Lord, I pray that we could realize that, God, you carried that weight of our sin on your shoulders, God. 
God, that was a real historical event that took place, God. And God, we can look at the lives of Corey Ten Boom and we can see how that actually plays itself out in a real concrete way, Lord. Some of us are there right now, God. A friend, a family member, a roommate, a spouse, a boyfriend, or girlfriend, God. And we need that power, Jesus. We cannot find that power in ourselves, God. So, Lord, we pray, we ask you, God, give us, give us the strength to do that, God. Forgive us our debts so that we can forgive our debtors, God. Lord, I just want to pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.